Podcast. Coming to you from the Midwest Coast. I'm inside that miraculous establishment, the Midwest Healing Center, Lake of the Ozarks Podcast, Studio B. This is the New Old School Podcast. I am your host, Don Allen. Tell somebody about the podcast. It's all free. You know, you can download any of these free apps to any mobile device, Podbean, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iTunes Store, Spotify. They're all free. Why it's freer than top secret documents? Yes, that's right. Not one, not two, but so far three different batches of top secret kept in unsecured locations by President Biden. No, wait, make that four. kids this is about to get interesting oh i know trump's was way worse because they were inside of a home guarded by 24-hour secret service i mean that's way more unsecure than biden's garage that his crackhead son owns hunter you had one job son come on man come on man i mean what could go wrong well his corvette was safe though so there's that I mean, his presidency has something in common with his Corvette, I guess. Gone in 4.7 seconds. Get the apps. Way more secure process. It's not a secret. All right, how's everybody doing today? Oh, believe me, I would love to do podcasts on that. Like I mentioned, I really miss our radio program. We used to get to talk about that stuff. Well, here we are. This is the uh, last podcast in our series, Passing the Test. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I know for me, it sure has answered a lot of questions. Definitely has challenged me along the way. I'm getting to my destiny, and I'm going to start passing these tests much quicker than I had before. It's those tests that we started by saying, well, we all go through them. Every man, every woman, every child would go through these tests And these tests from God, as we said, are to build your character. Because your destiny rests upon the foundation of character. No character, no destiny fulfilled. Character is such a big issue because if I'm seeing this right, then character is more important than anointing. That's a bold one, isn't it? Okay, maybe I say it different then. It's got to be at least as important as anointing. How about that? Uh, Because we know this to be true. We talk a bunch about anointing, and usually what we mean is the calling or the gifting from God. Well, so-and-so is so anointed. This one is so anointed for. Well, so are you. But see, your calling can't take you where the character won't support you. You could be prophesied over. You could be called by God, gifted, have have great uh, charisma, maybe know some people, and still not make it. I've seen it so many times. People that were no doubt given gifts and callings from God, and yet, character. That's what they lacked. And because of that, they got stuck. Some are still in the pride stages of still talking and talking about how great their callings and dreams are. It's way better than yours, hoping that by doing so that they can talk their way into some kind of a recognition, I suppose. And really, they're just trying to convince others and themselves, but it's not working. Others are stuck in the pit. Some are in the palace place where they settled and thought, well, this is as good as it gets. Some are in that purity test where they just can't get away from their fleshly desires. Others are stuck in a prison. They're just mad at everybody, blaming everybody else. Some are in the prophetic test stage where they didn't hold on to that word from God. 
know, they didn't take it to God's word and they ran with a man's word instead and it caused them to walk into some areas they had no business being in. I know people who should not be pastors. No way they should. I know some who should be and they aren't because of the prophetic. Sometimes it's just pathetic and not prophetic. We got some that are stuck in the power test prosperity test where what are you going to do with that money? What are you going to do with what it is that God gives you? What are you going to do what God said to do with it? Some are stuck in that pardon test where they refuse to forgive people. And if we get stuck in any one of these, praise God, you know, he's so good to not allow us uh, to walk into that destiny before we're ready. So we get to keep taking the test because he doesn't want you to fail. We've been looking into that life of Joseph, and, you know, he had a God-given dream at 17, and he stepped into that destiny at around 30. He really began to fulfill that destiny uh, the rest of his life, and it was so important that he did, and I want to say it's very important that you do. Please hear me, because don't think that your destiny is something that's got to be so grand at face value. I want to know who got Billy Graham saved, right? Somebody who was called by God ministered to that man at some point, and wow, I thank God someone ministered to me. But each of us has a dream from God and a destiny, but in order for Joseph to fulfill his destiny, he had to pass the tests, and so do we. So I want to kind of help you to understand what your destiny is today because I know some of you are wondering. So today is the purpose test. This is our final one. Today is the purpose test. Last week, we were in Joseph's life when he was 59 years old. I kind of want to back up a little bit to when he was around 39 years old. This was the first time that he was reunited with his brothers. His brothers came to Egypt to buy grain, and he finds them, and they don't recognize him, but he does them. And so I want us to see how it is he handles this after seeing them for the first time since they sold him into slavery, which we know led to prison for something he didn't do. And so how did he talk to them? Because here we're going to see how to understand and fulfill your destiny. So get ready. Here we go. Genesis 45 and verse 3, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there's still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting, and God sent me before you to preserve a a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So watch this, number one. You have to believe that no matter what, you have a purpose. You were created by a purposeful God who doesn't just do things on a whim. He doesn't just do things because he can. He does things with purpose on purpose. And when issues come into your life, it doesn't ever catch him off guard because he's already formulated a plan that if you'll follow it, he's already got a plan on how to use what's taking place to elevate you. We got so narrow-minded looking at what's taking place right before our eyes that we're missing the bigger picture. So we get stuck in a season of life, and we're just so, up, uh, so upset about forgetting Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Everything has a purpose. No, it's not that God created the situation, but it never catches him off guard. 
So how do you know what the purpose of something is, right? I mean, haven't you asked that at times? Like, why? Why is this in my life? Why is this happening to me? What's the purpose of this? Well, look at how it's designed. Take a moment to look at its design and how it's designed you. Um, let me see. How, how, how am I wanting to say this? Okay, so I know people who, okay, so I'm thinking of one person that I know who is what I would call prissy, okay? You understand what I mean by prissy? A woman I know who is prissy, right? Holds her pinky finger out when she drinks tea, you know, uh, walks with her nose in the air, very, sits up straight at the table, no elbows, uh, napkin on her lap, you know, kind of, you, right? You, know, you, you won't see her wearing a t-shirt. Okay, so here she is, and like any of us, issues come into her life, and she's doing like we all do. Why, God, why? And I, and I see these issues, and I'm thinking, you're freaking out about that? That's like a kindergarten issue. Like, that's nothing. And I'm over here, not prissy, and my issues come, and they're hardcore attacks like getting kicked in the teeth, and well, that's kind of who I am. I'm not a pinky-in-the-air type of person. I am more of an attack warrior type person. And her issues would serve no purpose in my life. I'm not melting down over my tea order being wrong, you know. Uh, my Pinterest project didn't turn out like I saw on Pinterest. Those things would, would serve no purpose in my life. Right? That would mean nothing to me. But now my issues coming in hot like a nuke, well, now that's something I can relate to. That's something I can learn through. That's something I can work through. I hope that makes sense. So think about the purpose of the design that is you. God had a purpose in making you, you, and making me, me. And so we can't allow others to come in and say, no, it should be this way, and it should be that way, because it's been my personal experience. That's a totally different experience. Exactly. That's your personal experience. That's not mine. So if you could see me today, and I'm holding a plunger, toilet plunger, you know what I'm talking about? Now, I could sit that plunger on the ground with the handle sticking up, and I could say, well, that's a ring toss game, right? I could flip it over and put the handle in the ground and fill the suction part with water and say it's a small bird bath. I could take it and see that suction part and say, well, that's a hat for bald men that won't blow off their heads. But it was really created with one real purpose in mind. Your designer had one purpose in mind for you when he designed you, specifically to do something that's going to help other people. Listen, nobody wants to be the plunger, but if somebody isn't, then who's going to deal with the crap, right? God has a specific purpose for you, and just because you could do other things, just because others see that you could be other things, doesn't mean you weren't designed to do the one thing. Do the one thing. God designed you. I'm going to say as a person that God made me and the places I've been and the people that I come across in my life who have been crapped on, I know God made me a specific type of a pastor, and I know I'm a plunger. I'm here to deal with the stuff to get it out of here and get it out of your life. Number one, believe you have purpose. Number two, believe that God is in control. Now, that's not that in general stupid statement, oh, God is in control. Everything that happens happens for a reason. Well, sometimes things happen in your life because you're stupid, and that's the reason. No, that's not what we're talking about. But God is in control. If you would allow him to be in control, he is in control. This is what Joseph understood. God was in control no matter, no matter what others were doing to him. The only person that can stop your destiny is you. Nobody else has that type of control. 
You are the only one because God designed you to do something and you can get off track. And because God is so amazing and loving, he'll allow you to get back on track. Genesis 45 and verse five, he said, God sent me. Don't be grieved with yourselves because God sent me. Verse seven, and God sent me. Verse eight, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Three times, here's what he said. God was in control of my destiny. You don't need to be upset with yourselves. I'm not going to be upset about it either, even though you sold me into slavery. And I know this for sure that many of you listening have had people sell you into slavery. Those that have been molested, that was a slavery. Those who were abused, that's a slavery. Those that were spiritually abused in churches, that's a slavery. You didn't ask for it. I was so spiritually abused growing up, it took all my freedom to do what I was called to do, and it placed me into a bondage. But it's because of that two-decade-plus abuse that I can now see that God was in control. And even though others continue to this day to tell me I'm not this and I'm not that and I should be doing this, that, and the other, I can see that God was in control. And it was he who led me here today to be able to share with you how many times the enemy will come in and tell you that you cannot fulfill the destiny that God gave you because of what somebody else did to you. There are a lot of Christians who believe that. Listen, I grew up in the same area since 1978. As I got older, my father was a pastor here, my father-in-law, my cousin, all within five miles of each other, right? And I grew up here in these churches, and I ministered to hundreds and hundreds of people in those churches. Now, our town's only 900, so you can put that into context. And I had meetings as I knew God was leading me into my destiny. And I would host meetings at the coffee shop that would draw in 75. Then we'd move to the mall, 125. Midwest Healing Center, 300 people. Again, in our town of 900. And suddenly those that wanted me in slavery, well, they'd lie about you. Slandered us, turned their backs on us. Those same people who I would pray with saw them healed of cancers. The same pastors that I helped grow their churches. And I don't mean I was just somebody sitting in the crowd giving money highly involved in all their churches churches and, and, and events and, and all the things that were going on, and yes, financially. All those same people that I would pray with saw them healed of cancer and deafness and crippled. I'd go to the hospital at 3 a.m. I'd go to their homes at midnight. I'd sit by the beds of their loved ones as they weren't calling the pastors. They were calling me and Matt. Countless phone calls and prayers and hours spent with people uh, overnight, children healed, husbands healed, wives set free, all that. And all for it to turn on me right when it looked like I had a dream. And the pastors and the others, they sold me into slavery and said, you can't do that. You can't do what it is that you've been doing because we think you should be doing this. I mean, even one that had been on the board of this ministry for over a decade walked away within five minutes because God said, we're going to start a church. And he bailed. I mean, fast, pulled his support and walked. Because he's thinking, no, you got to go do this. You, you can't do that. And the enemy's going to come and tell you that you can't do what you're called to do because of what they did. I mean, set out to tarnish my reputation with the very people that I ministered to for years and all because I was going to do the one thing that they didn't like, start a church. As a part of the destiny, my destiny isn't to be a pastor. It's a part of the destiny. And the devil's going to come and say, see, you can't do it because they... I'm telling you, whether it was parents or a pastor that abused you or a spouse, that, that person cannot stop God's destiny in your life. God is in control. You have a responsibility to continue to walk it out as it comes. You don't get to quit. 
I'm the wrong guy to come to for sympathy on this because I have an ex-wife who wasn't an ex at that time against the ministry. I have an ex-pastor who was against the ministry, two ex-board members who were against the ministry, another pastor who was a close friend who all said the exact opposite of what God was saying concerning the destiny. And not one, not one of them was able to stop what God said. And here I am today walking in it and it's succeeding greatly and we're more blessed now as a ministry than we've ever been. I mean, it's just amazing to look at. Why? Not because it was all good and nice and neat and sweet and we followed some church growth program or whatever people do. Uh, you know, I mean, what a lie. The church has perpetuated that. If God is in it, then the doors will just fly open for you and it's gonna be unicorns and rainbows and people are just gonna open their checkbooks and blessing and everybody's gonna love and support you. Bull, not at all. Romans eight twenty eight though. And we know that all things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That scripture was not written for the times that everybody's rooting for you. It's a reminder that you're called according to his purposes. Isaiah 55, 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but waters the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please. And the purpose that I sent it, it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God has spoken a word over you and your life. Before you were born, isn't that what Jeremiah, before I even formed you in the womb, I ordained you, I sanctified you for a purpose. You have to be an optimist to know that God is in control. And that's hard for some, some of us. Don't be a pessimist, right? I mean, did you hear about the, the pessimistic parachutist? So a sergeant said, there's a plane that's gonna take you up to 10,000 feet. You're gonna jump out of that plane you're going to take your right hand, you're going to place it on your left shoulder, and you're going to pull that ripcord. And if the parachute doesn't open right, if it doesn't open right away, then you're going to take your left hand, place it on your right shoulder, you're going to pull the emergency ripcord, and you're going to land in a field about 10 miles from base, and there's going to be some trucks there to take you back to the base. So this pessimistic parachutist gets, gets on and, and, and says, I bet the plane can't even get up to 10,000 feet. Well, it did. So he jumps and he takes his right hand and he places it on his left shoulder and he pulls the ripcord and it didn't open. And he said, I knew, I knew it. I knew it wasn't going to open. So he takes his left hand and he pulls the emergency ripcord and it didn't open either. And he said, see, I knew it. I knew it. And the last thing that his friends said that they heard him say is he's dropping out of the sky, passing by them. And I bet those trucks are going to be late too. So we need to believe that God has a purpose for you and that God is in control. Number three, discover your gift and your direction. This is so important in knowing what your purpose is because why would God call you to do something and not give you the gifts to do it? So it becomes important to know what your gifts are because those have to do with fulfilling the purpose. And there are what we described in a previous podcast, tests inside of the tests to help you discover what your gifts are. There are motivational gifts, manifestational gifts, ministry gifts. Now, I'm going to mention motivational gifts today because we see these in Jesus's life. And again, we are, we are the body of Christ. And as the body, uh, we are only part. So each of us has one of these. And of these seven, it's what motivates you. And you need to know what yours is. What is your passion? And I'm just going to really skim over these. So you're, you're probably going to have to really seek uh, the Lord on these a little more. But I'm just going to run over them so that you know them. You have one of these that motivates you. Romans 12 and verse four, for, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. 
having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with uh, liberty, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So let's look at each of these quickly. So prophecy or the motivator. A, A motivator is a person who desires to motivate people to serve God. Now, it's not really just a person who moves so much in the ministry of prophecy, but to motivate people to love God, to get to know him and to serve him. Second is a servant. That's a person who desires to meet the needs of a person on a practical basis. A person that when you finish the meal, they're the ones that can't sit still. They have to clean the place up. Like even at a restaurant, that's the person that has to stack the plates and clean the table. Next is a teacher, a person who desires to study and present truths to the people. Notice that all these have to do with helping others. Whatever your destiny is, it's going to involve helping people. This is that one that likes to study the word of God, dive in there, really try to find things to pull out of the stories or the scriptures, maybe things that others can't see. Number four, an encourager, a person who desires to be honest and encourage the people. No, no, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be all right. God's got you. No matter what, they encourage. Next is that giver, those that desire to meet the needs of the people financially. We need more of those in the body of Christ. We really do. Number six is the leader to desire to lead the people through organization, a person who is very organized. And seventh, an an empathizer who loves to identify and and empathize with others. And we need all seven. And we should at, at all times walk in a part of all of these in our lives. Now, as we walk with Jesus more and more, Uh, you'll begin to become more of an empathizer than a sympathizer. A sympathizer says, yeah, I see what you're saying. An empathizer would say, I feel what you're saying, right? I feel that. We got to get to where Jesus was who could understand how hurtful things were to people and have a desire to help cure that. Not just, wow, yeah, me too, I hear what you're saying, but being moved with compassion to heal. So for example, let's say we have a church committee and we have seven different people on this committee and each one of them has these gifts. And so the leader's leading the meeting and he has an agenda and it's very important that we stick to the agenda. So the leader is leading and he says, hey, so-and-so in the church, he lost his job this week. The prophecy person says, well, maybe he has sin in his life and maybe we could help him understand that, you know, that it's sin so that we can help him. The teacher says, well, I need to get with him and, and talk with him because, you know, if he'll follow the steps in 1 Timothy 3, that's how you can get a job. And there's five steps and it works. The encourager is already texting him, God has this in control and already has another job lined up for you, so just hang in there. The giver's already writing a check trying to meet the needs, and the servant's already gotten up from the table to head over to the guy's house to see what he can do to help in the meantime, mow the grass or whatever, and the mercy person's sitting over in the corner crying. Everybody wants to know, what is my destiny? Find out what your direction is, and the destiny will take care of itself. See, God was trying to say to Joseph at 17, your gift is leadership. Now let's get some things settled through these tests so that you can get to that destiny. Discover your gift and your direction. So uh, here's a great example of someone that you may all recognize. This man lost his job at 22 years old in 1832, defeated for state legislature in 1832, Failed in business in 1833, elected to state legislature in 1834, wife died in 1835, had a nervous breakdown in 1836, defeated for Speaker of the House in 1838, defeated for nomination for Congress at age 34 in 1843, 
elected to Congress in 1846, lost renomination in 1848, rejected for land officer in 1849, defeated for U.S. Senate in 1854, defeated for nomination for vice president in 1856, again defeated for U.S. Senate in 1858, and at 51 years old, he was elected president in 1860. This, of course, is the life of Abraham Lincoln. God was preparing him through these series of tests that we can now see. What did God do? Well, let's see, defeat after defeat after defeat. But what God was doing was building resolve in a man who was going to lead us through one of the worst wars that we could ever have on our soil. To never give up, no matter what it looks like. You keep fighting because one day you will be responsible for freeing people from slavery. Number four, determine your direction and be faithful. So we have to believe that you have a purpose. Understand that God is in control. Discover your gift or your direction and determine your direction and be faithful. So once you find out what your gift is, like Joseph finding out that his was leadership, that was his direction to be a leader. So think of this. He goes into Potiphar's house as an enslaved person. He becomes the leader. He's not waiting. See, here's the problem. Uh, Most people are thinking my gift is leadership. So I'll wait for someone to give me a position of leadership and then I'll lead. No, and see, this is what I do here in this ministry. I'm not handing out positions so that somebody will step into it and own it. No, I'm watching people now and I'm seeing what they're doing now. And then after I see that they're already doing something, then I'll approach you and I'll, and I'll ask you to have the position. Lead where you are. That's how you do it. It's not, oh, I'm called to do this and you need need to make a place for me to do it. I'm not doing that. You'll earn it. I mean, he was enslaved and a leader. And then he's he's a prisoner and becomes the leader of the prison. He's already using his gift. So start now. Well, okay, Donnie, so I have a gift. I have a direction. But are there specifics to my destiny? Yes. Well, how can I know these specifics? When and how? You will know the specifics of your destiny after you begin to do them. See, you'll be able to look back through these tests and see, oh, that's what God wanted. Oh, and that over there. And oh, that's not what God wanted. If God tells you all of it now, you wouldn't do it. You'd be so overwhelmed. No, he gives, you, he gives this boy a dream about being a leader one day, but he left out the whole prison part, didn't he? He left out the slave part, didn't he? Joseph would have gotten so upset and felt like my brothers have messed up my destiny and, and he could not have taken his direction to the destiny. He would, have, he would have reflected on all the wrong done and missed all the opportunities that are right here. In our story, I didn't mention this, but it says that one day Joseph noticed the butler and the baker and they were sad. Why are you sad? Well, we had a dream and we didn't know what they mean. And he used his gifts to interpret the dream and it led to him getting out of prison. But had he been so consumed with his own problems and he had them, but he would have never noticed that somebody else was sad. He would have said, oh, you think you're going to let me tell you a story? (laughs) No, listen, nobody can keep you from your destiny but you. No one else has the power, just you. And the only way you'll miss it is if you stop trying. You can fail at any one of these tests as many times as you want to, and God will keep allowing you to take them over and over and over again. Joseph stayed on track, and the Lord determines the direction, and you determine how far you'll go. I was determined to bring healing to the people. But how many people? How many people I would actually bring healing to was going to be proportionate on how many tests I was willing to pass. Would I stop somewhere? 
Would I stop at the palace because, man, that's way better than the prison? Yeah, but you're still a slave, and your reach is very limited. Am I stuck in the pardon test? I don't want to forgive them. Do you know what they did to me? How far will I go and stay on track? So Joseph was able to keep going because of what? Character. Let me read you a small portion of something from the diary of John Wesley. He's one of the most famous and influential ministers from the Reformation revivals. And so here's just something from, I think it's about a month of his diary on Sundays. The Sundays that he would write in his diary, the Sunday entries. Listen to this. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached at St. Anne's and was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday night, May 5th, preached at St. John's, and the deacon said, get out and stay out. Next week, Sunday morning, May 12th, preached at St. Jude's and can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called me, called a special meeting and said I could not return. Sunday night, May 19th, preached in the streets, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, preached in a meadow, and chased out of the meadow because of a bull that was turned loose during the service. Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached at the edge of town and kicked off the highway. Sunday night, June 2nd, preached in a pasture, and 10,000 people came to hear me. This man knew what his purpose was, and he was faithful no matter what. Do you? Will you? I'm telling you, God has a destiny for you to fulfill. And you don't have to know today what that destiny is, but you do on this very day have to find the direction and you've got to start heading that way. Hey, God will take care of all the details because guess what? God is in control. So you got to get moving. God's not going to try to steer a parked car this series has blessed you like it has me. I'm excited to see where this may take you. Well, that's all the time I have for today. Thank you for joining me on the New Old School Podcast. I am your host, Don Allen. Until next time, I'm going to continue on my way to my destiny to attempt the ridiculous and achieve the miraculous. Miraculous.